kindergarten teacher was meeting her new students for the first time. She came into her class with those intimidating five-year-olds and sitting there in class with them and trying to set a precedent for the year. She wanted to do a few things, some questions she had to ask them. Of course, she had their information, but she wanted them to interact with her. And so they did a few games, sharing their names with each other. They shared some information about each other. But, you know, she really didn't want to waste the day. She wanted it to be some instructional time to figure out where these kids were and to, to know some things that they already understood, maybe some things that they didn't understand very well. And so she started off with math, and she, she said to her kindergartners and said, how many of you can count, um, know your numbers and can count at least to 10, maybe even go a little higher? How many of you can count for me today? And all of the little hands all around the room went up. And they all held their hands up, and so the teacher decided to test a few of them and said, okay, how about you? Started with a little girl, said, how about you? Why don't you count for us? Just start counting. Start at one and start counting. And the little girl started one, two, three, three. And the teacher said, okay, that's good. You got to three. Very good. Can anybody else in here count? Another little boy over on the side, he was waving his hand, and she said, why don't you start? And he started, one, one, three, and she said, okay, okay, why don't, why don't you wait, and let's see if we can get somebody else. And there's another little boy over on the side of the room, he's waving his hand frantically, and the teacher looked at him and said, okay, why don't you count for us? And he said, my daddy taught me to count. I know how to count. She said, okay, why don't you show us? And he started off, one, two, three, four, five. She said, that's really good. Can you go any higher? Yeah. Six, seven, eight. Said, any more? What's next? Nine, ten. Good. What's next? A spanking. <laughs> you got a lot of jokes about the family. We can make fun of the family all day long, kind of like that dad who picked his boy up from school, going to a dental appointment, picked him up, got him in the car, heading away from school, headed towards the dentist, and uh, he was trying to strike up a little conversation with his son, said anything happened interesting at school today, and the boy just exploded. He said, yes, it was such a good day. You remember, Dad, we tried out for that play, the school play, just a little while ago. We did that, and they announced who got parts. And the dad waited, and he said, well, did you get a part? He said, yeah, I got a part. I get to play a man who's been married for 20 years in the play. And the dad said, that's great, son. That's wonderful. If you keep working hard, maybe they'll give you a speaking part next time. <laughs> I know some of you are just getting that. The guys are like, huh? We can make fun of the family all day long. But part of the reason is because in the family, we kind of invite some of those things. You know, some of the things that we do in the family, some of the relationships that we have in there, you know, at times we, we deserve to, to laugh at ourselves a little bit. We ought to. We ought to be able to have a little smile at ourselves, some of the way that we relate to each other. Well, you know, we've been in this study out of the book of Colossians. And today, come to a section of Colossians. This is one of the benefits of taking a book 
and going all the way through the book. We don't skip any passages of Scripture. We take whatever is there in front of us, and that's what we study, assuming that the Lord gave us that for a reason. And we've been talking through the book of Colossians. We have been talking, in particular, this has been the focus. This has been the focus of attention. What does the Bible have to say about Jesus Christ? That's been our our focus. Because what we believe about Jesus makes a difference. What we believe about Jesus Christ matters. It matters in this life and it matters beyond this life. What we believe about him matters. Just saying we believe in Jesus, well, that's good. But the Bible says even even the demons believe But that doesn't mean that they believe in faith and are willing to change themselves in response to who Jesus Christ is. What we believe about Jesus Christ matters. That's been the focus of this book that we've been studying uh, out of Colossians. Now, today we're looking at a passage of Scripture in Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to start reading at verse 18. And this is the focus, or verse 19. This is the focus. Maybe it is verse 18. I think I put the wrong verse up there. Verse 18, 18 through chapter 4, verse 1. Uh, Colossians 3, 18. That's what we're going to read from today. Colossians 3, 18. And this is the focus of this passage of Scripture. We're going to talk about relationships made right. Relationships made right. Now, that's going to be where our attention is today, and we're going to read in just a few moments, but this is actually probably a pretty good time to allow our children and their parents, grandparents who would like to go with them, and they're going to head out for a message on this same topic, geared at their level, talking about this same thing, using the same outline that we are in here, and they're going to head on back to their children's message, parents and kids, they're going to be heading out. My door, the door over here to my left, to your right, and as they make their way out, why don't you turn with me to Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to read uh, today starting at verse 18, starting at verse 18. We're going to let them make their way out. <clears throat> Colossians 3, starting at verse 18. We'll give them a second to make their way out. <clears throat> Okay, we're going to read in just a second. We don't want our kids to make their way out before making... Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 18. And it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter towards them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, don't provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in all things. Your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God, and whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done. And there's no partiality. Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. 
We want to talk today about relationships made right in this next section where we are studying in the book of Colossians. Now, this passage sounds very similar to a passage that we covered just a few months ago, back before Christmas, when we were talking about some of the family situations that we find when we did that sermon series, Crossroads, dealing with biblical issues that are in our culture today. This passage, however, is a little different. This passage is in a different context. It's written in a different book, and it's written to a different group as this passage passage is written. We've got to read this passage here in Colossians chapter 3 through this lens because Paul is writing, because the Holy Spirit has prompted Paul and he's given him these words here in Colossians chapter 3. And for the last two weeks, we have been reading everything in chapter 3 with this perspective. We've been saying, as I shared two weeks ago, as Pastor Stafford preached from this last Sunday, because I'm a believer, because I belong to Christ, because I am in Christ, here's what he calls me to do. Because I'm a believer, these are some of the things that God has called me to do. Because we belong to Jesus, we need to seek the things that are above. We need to put to death that which is earthly in us. We need to speak truth to one another. We need to... Not use our prejudices that divide, but to focus on Jesus who unites us. We need to love and act like Jesus, being kind and forgiving. We need to love others like Jesus did. We need to let God's peace shine through us. We need to let God's word dwell in us. Because we belong to Jesus, we need to do all we do for Jesus. And this is the particular focus of this passage in Colossians chapter 3. It is an extension of everything that has been said before. Because we belong to Jesus, because we belong to Jesus, we need to let the word of God dwell within us richly. Because we belong to Jesus, we need to treat other people differently. Because we belong to Jesus, we need to show the same kindness and forgiveness that Jesus showed. And then from that extension, here we start talking about the family. Because we belong to Jesus, this is the way that our primary relationships need to be handled. And then Paul starts in to speak about these, the structure for the family. Family and other primary relationships. And he begins here. In verse 18, and he starts with this verse that causes fear and consternation among so many. It says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Wives, submit to your husbands. Well, when we read this passage, we can't help but be drawn to the passage in Ephesians chapter 5 where it says the same thing. Wives, submit to your own husbands as if you were submitting to the Lord. This word submission causes a great deal of problem among many ladies. Let me just say that the word submission is different than the word subjugation. And what we often think of, especially from the female perspective, which I don't have, Often what females think of from this perspective in the marriage relationship is I am supposed to be subjugated to my husband. Listen, there's a grave difference between subjugation and submission. Let me explain. Subjugation is something that is forced upon you. 
Subjugation is something that somebody else expects you to do, forces you to do, pushes upon you, and you don't really have any option but to respond. Subjugation is when the husband looks to the wife and says, you need to do what I tell you to do. You need to act the way that I tell you to act. You need to go where I tell you to go because you're supposed to be subject to me. You're supposed to be submitted to me. That's subjugation. There's a radical difference between that and what the Lord calls for in the marriage relationship with the wife. God doesn't say, wives, be subjugated to your husbands. God says, wives, submit. And it is a conscious choice. It is a decision that can't be forced upon you. It's got to be a decision that is made from the inside out. It is a decision that comes because of our relationship with Jesus Christ, because I walk with Jesus Christ, because I'm in a relationship where my Father in heaven, because the Lord Jesus asks me to yield, I am willing even though I might be able to do something better than he can, even though I might be able to do most things better than he can, I am willing to make a choice in the name of Jesus to step back so that there is not a head-on collision. When we lived at a little church not too far from here, before we moved here, uh, Zunai, Virginia. Anybody know where Zunai, Virginia is? That's because you've ridden down 460 and you couldn't help but ride through Zunai, Virginia. Uh, doesn't even have a stoplight. It's the suburbs of Ivor. Ivor has a stoplight. Zunai didn't. It just had a gas station. And I pastored a church there, Tucker Swamp Baptist Church. And Tucker Swamp Baptist Church was located on, come on, you know. Tucker Swamp Road, that's right. <laughs> Tucker Swamp Road, Tucker Swamp Baptist Church. Well, you know, Tucker Swamp Road comes and connects to Route 460, four-lane highway. And when we first moved there, um, I turned on Tucker Swamp Road, and when you turn off of 460 onto Tucker Swamp Road, one of the first times that I was riding through, I noticed this, one of the first times riding through this area, on Tucker Swamp Road, turning off of Route 460, there was a bridge that crossed over the railroad tracks that run all the way along Route 460, all the way down to Norfolk. And this bridge was about as wide as this chair. I mean, it really was, when you pull up to it, it's, it was kind of intimidating. It was a little frightening. And the bridge was made out of wood. Pulled up to it, and uh, you could only fit one car there. And you couldn't see what was on the other side. And as you pull it off of 460 and you pull up to this little bridge that you have to go up, over, and down, this wooden rickety bridge, right next to the bridge, there was this yellow four-sided sign that said, yield. Now, what was interesting was, if you're going that way from 460 towards the church, there's a sign on this side of the bridge that says, yield. When you leave the church and you come back to the bridge on the opposite side and you're going this way, there's a little yellow sign right next to the bridge that says yield. Who's supposed to yield? I mean, if, if I'm yielding going this way and they're yielding going this way, who, what's up with that? We're both supposed to yield? Well, 
Why? Not because they're a terrible driver and you're a better driver. It doesn't discriminate. It says yield whether you're a good driver or not. It says yield whether you got a bigger truck. And there were plenty of those all jacked up through that old part of the country there out in the woods driving through the fields. It doesn't say yield if you got the smaller car. It doesn't say yield if you know this bridge better than anybody else. It says yield because they don't want a head-on collision on top of the bridge. Somewhere here in this marriage relationship, there has to be a decision, a conscious choice, a conscious decision with a party, with a member in this marriage relationship who says, I choose to submit my will so that we have a direction that we can go in. Now, God says... This really should be the wife that submits. Why? I don't know. I don't know. Other than that God said it. Is that a hard pill for some to swallow? Yes, it is. But because I belong to Jesus Christ, because you belong to Jesus Christ, wives, make a choice to submit. Now, guys, you don't get off scot-free, and you know that. Because it says in verse 19, husbands, love. Now here, in Colossians chapter 3, husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter towards them. Well, if you compare that to the passage that's similar to this over in Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 5, there's a whole lot more here. It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also gave him, loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with washing of, by the, of water by the word, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands also ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I mean, so there's a, a little broader explanation there. Here's what we get in Colossians chapter 3. This is what we get. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter towards them. That's what we get. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be bitter towards them. And we got a lot, a whole, a whole lot more instruction in Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, as Christ gave himself for the church, as Christ died for the church, as Christ sacrificed all that he was so that he might go to Calvary and bear the brunt of everyone's mistakes, including his wife, the church, even though he didn't sin himself. Husbands, love your wife just like that. So why does it say here in Colossians chapter 3, husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter towards them. Why that? Why that? 
almost seems a little out of place, doesn't it? Except that after 31 years in ministry, I've seen it again and again. I've seen it over and over. I've seen it time after time. I've counseled with couples time after time where the husband is dealing with this very thing. Let me just be straight with you guys. I think the reason that many husbands, many husbands, wives have their own issues to work through, but many husbands have problems in their marriage with their wife is because we are filled with bitterness. What are we bitter over? We're bitter over the fact that we have to give up certain things now that we're married. I've seen it again and again. You mean I can't go out drinking with the boys anymore? You shouldn't be telling me that, woman. I'm the one who's in charge here. You're supposed to submit to me. I get to make my own rules. Hey, when you said I do, you don't. When you said I do, you don't get to make your own rules anymore. When you voluntarily, I'm assuming that this wasn't a shotgun wedding for any of you, when you voluntarily walked down the aisle, well, she walked down the aisle because, you know, I guess in weddings they think guys can't walk that far, so we stand down front like this and we wait for the bride to walk down to us. And when you walked, or when you walked in and, and she walked down to you and you turned next to her and you're looking at her with those googly eyes and when the pastor was speaking to you and you weren't listening, there came that point in time, even if you didn't hear it, when he said, do you? And you said, uh-huh, whatever. <laughs> when you said, I do, you don't. You don't get to make your own choice. You don't get to decide for yourself where you go, what you do. You don't get to go hang out with the guys all the time anymore. You accepted a responsibility. You took on a mantle of a marriage relationship. The two become one. You don't get to be one anymore. You're part of two. And not only that, some of you are part of six or seven because you got little ones running around the house too. And you have a responsibility. They only have one dad. And your wife only has one husband. You only have one wife. And when you said, I do, you were saying, whether you knew it or not, I am going to love my wife the way that Jesus loved the church and gave up every single thing for her. Why does this passage say, husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter towards them? Because I think there are many of us guys who we look and we say, man, I got to give that up. I got to give this up. I can't go do that. I can't be this. I can't go there. That's right. That's exactly right. You said I do. And if we're going to make this relationship right, Wives, make a choice to yield so there's not a head-on collision. Husbands, 
You're going to make a choice. He said, I do, so you don't get to do whatever you want. Go wherever you want to go. Act however you want to act. We accepted the responsibility to love our, our wife the way that Christ loved the church. Now, you're probably already looking at your watch. Uh, let me just remind you that um, I spent part of the week in Puerto Rico, and in Puerto Rico, they don't pay attention to the time. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that here. So let's take a few minutes and just look at the rest of these relationships made right. Verse 20 says, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Now, Pastor J.D. is back there speaking with parents and their kids, focusing on this from the kids' perspective. I'm just going to focus on it for just a second, briefly, from a teenager's perspective and that of an adult. When the Bible tells you to obey your parents in all things, keep in mind there are other Bible passages that speak on this particular topic. Um, in the Ten Commandments, it says that we're supposed to honor our father and mother, and that obligation is not removed from us for the length of our life. Yes, I am supposed to honor my mother and father. But there was a thing that happened, oh, about 32 years ago, where I walked in, stood here, my wife walked down front, and I said, I do. She said, I do. And I left my mother and father, and I cleaved unto my wife. Now, just a note here, mother-in-law, father-in-law, mom, dad, when your daughter walks down here, when your son's standing here, They are not beholden to obey you anymore. Their primary responsibility is to their spouse. That's why in those wedding services, we have had built in the idea of a father giving his daughter away. It seems a little archaic today, but it actually has a biblical principle. The father is giving away the place of primary responsibility for the care of his daughter. And it's now on him. And I got my eyes on you, boy. That's okay. But what that means is that children, adult children, well, you're not in that position where you have to follow all the dictates of your parents anymore. You do still have to honor them your primary responsibility comes to your spouse. Now, if you're one of those teenagers that hadn't gotten there yet, as much as you'd like to think that you have been absolved from that responsibility of obeying your parents, let me just give you a word of practical advice. Until you start paying rent, until you start paying for your cell phone, until you start paying for your cable bill or your Fios bill, until you start paying for all the gas in your car, start paying for your car, start paying for the insurance on your car. Mom, dad, you own that. It's okay for you to act as if you do. And you can cut that cell phone off anytime you want. So, hey, teenagers, it might be a good idea to show a little of that respect that is due still 
Just a little word of advice there. Children, obey. Parents, nurture. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Over in Ephesians chapter 5, it says, that's actually chapter 6, it says, You fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. Fathers, don't provoke. It says that in both, both passages. Well, what's the opposite of provocation? If fathers, parents, were supposed to not provoke, what does that mean? Well, the opposite of provocation in a biblical sense where it's talking about here is we're supposed to encourage. We're supposed to raise them up. We're supposed to prepare them and train them. We're supposed to nurture them. And most of us dads don't really have that nurturing I don't know, gene or that experience or that characteristic. But this is the call, and it's not by accident. There's no divine accident here. Both times it says, dads, don't provoke your children to anger. Raise them up. Encourage them. Nurture them. In the Lord. There's two other relationships of note here. I know the time. I know some of you'd like for me to keep going. Some of you'd like to beat the Methodists to lunch. But here it says in chapter 3 Bond servants, verse 22, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, not unto men. Um, two other relationships that are very critically important here. I just want to take a second and explain this. Relationships made right. Now, in this passage there, the word that's used in Greek is the word doulos. Um, and I, I'm relying on my trusted Greek scholar, Stafford Beasley, uh, the word doulos. That's what it says. Now, when you see the word doulos in Scripture, the word servant, it is also translated as slave. And it is. It's somebody who's a slave, but it's also somebody who's a servant, a bond servant. And there's a marked difference. A slave is somebody who has no rights, who is purchased, who is owned. A bond servant is somebody who is working for a debt that they have incurred. And they have willingly taken on this position of working for somebody to pay that debt. That's why they call it a bond, the amount you owe, servant. Now, the word doulos in Scripture is translated both ways, slave or bondservant, depending on the circumstance. In this particular circumstance in Colossians chapter 3, I think it's specifically talking about a bondservant, a worker. Now, most of us today wouldn't think, well, I'm not a, I'm not a slave, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a servant. But in this context, with the sense of this word, you are. Now, I'm just curious here in this room, how many of you owned your own business or own your own business? About 10. Those of you who just held your hand up, keep your hands down. How many of the rest of you worked, had a job, somewhere. 
That's pretty much everybody else in the room who's an adult. You work somewhere else. You would be the equivalent of a bondservant in this passage. Why? Because you're not the employer, you're the employee. If you're working for somebody and you're doing a job for somebody, you are the bondservant. I'm not enslaved. I bet you are. You got a house payment. You got a car payment. You got an electric bill. You want to keep the electricity on. You, you got some things you want to pay for. And maybe your employer has agreed with you to help pay part of your health care. Some of you are working just so you have that health care. You, in a sense, you are a servant because you have a bond that is held over your head, an amount that is due that you have to work off that amount. Well, that's what this passage is talking about. And here is what God says. In that relationship, when you're the bond servant, when you're working for somebody, when you're the employee and when you're doing this, you, because you belong to Jesus Christ, because you are his, you need to work as if you were working for Jesus Christ. How many of you love your employer? Ooh, wow, that's a lot. He loves his employer because he works for his sister. You know what the scripture says? Whether you love them or not, whether they treat you well or not, whether they're Christ-like or not, you be Christ-like to them. One last relationship it does mention here. Hey, all 10 of you who own your business, verse 4, or verse 1 of chapter 4, masters, bosses, give your bond servants what's just and fair. Knowing that you have a boss, same word knowing that you have an employer, knowing that you have a master in heaven. Oh, we could spend weeks talking about this topic. I know we could. But when we take a passage of Scripture, a book of the Bible, we go passage by passage. That's it for this passage. What does this passage tell me? Wives, because you belong to Christ, make a choice may not be what would be your first choice, but because you belong to Christ, choose to yield so there's no head-on collision. Husbands, because you belong to Christ, and because you said, I do, stop being bitter towards your wife about the things you had to give up and take a moment and see the things that you have because she is there. Children, obey. And if you've reached that point where you're not under the direct call for obedience because you have joined with your wife, your husband, still honor. Fathers, nurture. Employees, workers, follow. Bosses, give. Why? Because we belong to Jesus Christ.
Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time to be in your word today. And I ask, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts so that our relationships can begin to be made right. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.